Um, so I was doing an evaluation of, my, of our days. And we've done this many times at our branches. Um, just kind of take a look at how, what the activities that we do throughout the, throughout the week on a general day. So let me give you um, my general day. It's not because my days are different every day. Um, but in general, this is what we do. And I wanted to do that because maybe that hope, in hope that you can kind of see uh, a picture of your life in that way. And so we take a 24-hour period of our life. Um, wow, that's a pretty good circle. Uh, <laughs> take a 24-hour period. How many hours would you say that you sleep? Anybody? In general? Five, six? Yeah, right? About five or six. I get, I get about five or six. And so that comes out to be about... 45% for me. So this is, um, and then from on top of that, um, no, I'm sorry. That's totally bad math right there. Um, so yeah, so about five or six. Um, and how many percent is that of 24? Anybody? About 20, okay. 20% of your day there, right? And so this is, um, they say that an average American sleeps, I mean, uh, go to work for about 40% of their time. So that's 60% gone. What else do we do? Eat. <laughs> How many hours is that, right? <laughs> yes. So we'll, we'll conclude that as a family time, right? Hopefully you eat with your family, but your family time eating, talking, whatever, watching TV. Um, and on average, how long would that be? Let's say two hours. Okay, that sounds good. How many percent is that? Twelve percent? Well, we'll just say ten percent. How about that? Okay, just to make it clean. So ten. So now we got seventy percent. And then uh, what else? Travel. Yeah, it's just per day, an average day. Travel. Okay, so let's say we travel including for work. Because I know you travel to shopping and all that stuff, right? But let's say travel with work will make this 50%. That's about right. Yeah, for me, it's about, it's about that much. Okay. And so now we are at 80% already. So what else is left? 20%. Free time, okay. Free time, well, just making sure here. How many percent would that be? 10, okay. About two hours of free time, okay. What else? 10 left, yeah. I know the chart is not right. Yeah, sorry. This is bad. The scale is wrong. <laughs> how about how about God time? Anybody? Devotion? None of that? Read your Bible? About an hour? Okay. Five percent? Okay. So we five percent. Okay. How about the other five percent? Technology. That's free time right there. So this would be twenty, right? Yeah. So. All right, 20. There we go. <laughs> All right, so this is 20% right here. 
In my days, it's about the same. I do about 5% of uh, God work, you know, preparing the lessons, sending out email, things like that, um, researching and all that. Um, then I break it down to my spouse time with Carol, maybe about an hour to two a day, if we're lucky. Um, and then uh, the rest, the rest are all kids. The kids just take, yeah, so that's when we watch a show <laughs> for a whole hour. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then the kids spend all the rest of the time. So the, the thing is that I wanted to show this chart is that a lot of times when we think about time for God, when I ask that, people are like, uh, I don't know, one hour? That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Right? And so you're thinking about one hour, that's, let's say 5% to God. That seems like a lot. But is it really a lot? Compared to the 24 hours? No, not really, right? And so the sleep, look at this. Right there, right? Yeah, and work out. Yeah, that'll be part of the free time, I would imagine. So this, we'll come back to how God worked in our dreams in this here. So but for now, we'll just leave it blank and black. Um, but all this time, so I'm thinking, oh, okay, now, in my days, I stretch. I try to stretch this 5% five, five into more. So I try to do my devotion in the morning, read before I sleep. You know, during my work, I take a break and I, I set my timer. Like, I, this is my God time, 15 minutes. You know, I, I try all sorts of different methods, just try to stretch this area right here. Um, I get up early, sacrificing my five, hour, uh, five, of five hours of sleep into so that I can expand this some more, because I can't expand anything else, right? This is where I get paid. I can't expand this. I mean, I can't shrink this too much. Um, so it's, it's a struggle for me in this area, and I hope that, that you can kind of relate, because a lot of times as Christians, we feel guilty for this little area, right? When I ask, how many, t how many hours a day do you spend with God? We say five, and that sounds good, but at the same time, we feel guilty. Like there, It should be more than that, right? I'm a Christian. I, I, my faith is strong. I'm a, I, I should be doing more than that, but I can't. My days are so full. So how do we, how do we expand this some more? How do we maximize this time? And so I think part of the problem is that we, our mind is what psychologists call um, compartmental, right? We compartmentalize that this is the, the work box and this is the sleep box and this is the you know, free time box. So I'm, when I'm in free time, leave me alone, whatever, let me go into. And you know, for, uh, like for parents with small kids, we don't have this, right? You go in the bathroom and the kids go in the bathroom with you. So you try to lock the door and be on your device. It's in this right here, in the bathroom. And the kids follow you and you can't even have any of that. And then things get, and then when you think about the time left for God, it's, there's not much. And so how do we maximize this? I think part of the problem is that we think that it's, it's a pie chart like this. But as we know in reality, all of life doesn't separate like this that cleanly. Everything is all mixed together, jumbled up together, right? We travel in between times, and then God appears in, the, in a song while we're driving, and then, you know, things like that, and, and things are different. And so I think that, um, that we, we need to look at something that's more profound. This seems like it's not, um, it's not changeable, this area. 50% of our time working is pretty static, right? Because all of us need this in order to live. Without this, we would be homeless, right? And so this is really important, but does it have to be separate? Because I think that it, if we separate this, then I only have half a life left. And then if we separate all the other stuff, then I only have a little bit left for God. And it doesn't make sense. 
So um, I was reading some statistics. In a person, an average person in the lifetime of an American who works eight hours a day with um, a little bit more, including travel, we spend 140,000 hours in a lifetime. That equates to about 40% of your life. So now I think that you live, let's say, 80 years. Or let's say you live 100 years just for a clean break. 40 years of that is working. Wow. And what do you do? What if you don't like your job? 40% of not liking your job. And think about this. If you work so that you can retire, you work so long so that you can to do something that you don't like so that you can stop doing it. What? That doesn't make sense, right? You spend all your life doing something you really hate, and then at the end so you could stop doing it. Then why don't you just stop since the beginning? But we need that area to live, right? And odds are, they say that uh, two-thirds of Americans don't like their job. In fact, that most of them hate their jobs. I hope that's not us, right? That we you know, find a different job to do. Um, statistically, this is sad. On Monday, between 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. is the number one time frame for suicide. Suicide. This is before people going to work. This is not car accidents because, oh, it's Monday. I mean, you know. Um, but this is the um, fewest is Saturday time frame. And it's a, a fact that somebody, they, uh, some lady wrote in a book. And I find that really astounding. It's 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Mondays. People commit suicide. Probably what goes through their mind is, I can't take another week of this. I can't stand this. Why am I doing this? Another full cycle. You know, you know that you go to work for five days and, and then another weekend and then comes back and the cycle goes on and on. If you hate your job, can you imagine how horrible it is to get up in the morning to go to work and, and do the same thing? Um, so how do we fit God into this everyday life? I think as Christians, you know, we, we see the, this part, this 50% as secular, right? We hear that term. And then this is sacred. So we see a sacred time with God as 5% or less or none. Because we, sometimes we get so busy, the 5% goes away because something has to give, right? The most, the most uh, non-noticeable time that we can give is God. So easy to get rid of that. And so we, we separate the sacred from the secular. And if we keep continuing thinking that way, then we're thinking, my faith is only lived out this much. And then for us who only have church once a month, at least, you know, if you have church every week, um, you know, you got branch, that's different, right? But if you don't go to branch, you only go to a celebration once a month. That's all there is. Man, if, if that's all that your time with God, it would be like a little tiny slit like that, you know, It'd be like, that's my God time. Now, the sacred is so little compared to the secular. Does that make sense? I think we break it down that way, and that, that is part of the problem. We hear, and then we read the Bible, and we come to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of tongues, what else? The gifts of prophecy, anything else? Teaching, administration, all that. We think, oh, that only applies in this tiny slit. What if it doesn't? What if all those gifts are applied to every part of life? What if I were to ask you that if God were to work in your life and make you the best you, closest to who he is, if God were to work in your, the character of your life, where do you think God is going to do most of his work? Probably not here, right? Too busy snoring, conked out because we're so tired. But where would God do his work? This entire area. 
So that's my premise for the day, and I think that, that this area has, is like an untapped territory because a lot of us, we separate ourselves so much in this area that we become a completely different person. Uh, so 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 4 to 6. Uh, if you have your Bible turned there, I'm going to read from you there from the Living Bible because uh, I think it's really interesting the way it's worded. Um, Living Bible paraphrase says, Now God gives us many kinds of special abilities, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. 1 Corinthians 12, 46, um, verse 5 says, There are many different kinds of service to God, but it is the same Lord we are serving. There are many ways in which God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work in and through all of us who are His. And so the two distinction there that he works in us and he works through us. And so we, if we take this scenario where it's only 5% and we think that, that um, what we read from the Bible, how God gifted us with, the pro, you know, with all the gifts, if this 5% is all that God is working in us, it's very little, right? If God were to work through us, he works in us and through us, the biggest impact that he could make is in this area, There'll be more, you see. Um, so instead of fitting God into this little slit, what if we think of God is a part of everything in our life? Like the song that says, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Every minute I need you. Every second I need you. Right? God is in everything that we do. Uh, and we, we learn that through our studies of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us, living inside of us, working through us. Um, so if God were to work through us, I think he would do a lot of it at work. Because, you know, like right here, do you, any of you need some salvation, right? Are we going to pray and somebody receive Christ? Probably not. Because all of us have been in church for so long, right? We have been a Christian for a long time. So it's not, it's not a lot of work to do here. This is like training ground. You know, this is like fun time. The real work is when you get to work. Those are, that's where the, all the difficult people are. That's where the people who rub you the wrong way, the people who gets in your face, people who do all sorts of stuff, stab your back, and, you know, they don't know God, they have no standards, so now what? That's, I would imagine that's where growth happens the most. And so, um, so I came up with seven ways, seven, seven motivations and why we work. And I think this is um, really telling of, of, how, of how all this works. I'm going to put this up here. Seven reasons, uh, motivations why we work. So, so number one, why do we work? Anybody? Money, Money right? So it's necessity. I hope I spell this right. I think that's right. All right, um, so necessity. We have to work or else we'll be homeless. We have to work because we need to work, right? We need to make money. But what about people who don't go to a place where they, you make money? You still work, right? Stay-at-home moms still work. Um, about a week or two ago, Carol was sick. I took uh, two days off from work. Man, it's so busy. I wake up at 6.30. The oldest kid gets ready, and so I got to get him ready, get the lunch ready, and then I walk him to school. I came back home, 
Guess what? The second kid needs to wake up at 7.30 and be ready by 8 o'clock. So I get his lunch and get him ready in the morning and walk him to school. I get back home, it's 8.30. Guess what? The third kid needs to go to school. Has to be school by 9 o'clock. I was like, man, I'm running. So, you know, and then, and then, you know, what do we do? I don't have time to prepare food. So I got Carol to go eat noodles with me for an hour. We come back home, try to clean up. The kids, time to pick up the third kid because he's off at noon. And my goodness, by the end of the day, I am so tired. I can't. And that goes on every day. And, and it's just like a little glimpse of what I miss when I go to work. Because when I split my days to 50%, uh, I go to work, I check in the morning, I check out at night, I'm done, right? And then it gets me to see a picture that there's no done when you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home parent, when you're just home, right? There's, there's no ending to that. And so that's a really eye-opening experience for me. So the first reason why we work is it's a necessity. We need to make money, we need to live, we need to buy and, you know, and all that, acquire and all that. So the second thing is uh, prosperity. So we, we work because we want to make money. We hope to save money, we want, hope to invest money, we become prosperous and you know, become a little rich maybe, you know, and, and hopefully we have some investment and save for our future and all that and for our retirement. And so that's the, the third reason. And the, uh, the second reason, the third reason is identity. And I, I hear this a lot from uh, stay-at-home mom from Carol, that you lose your identity when you're at home because you're just a mom. Like, just a mom. Like, that's not big enough, right? But because for a lot of people, this, this, their identity. They ask you, what do you do? I'm an executive, blah, blah, blah. I'm an engineer, blah, 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 right? So this is how they identify themselves. A lot of us do that. And so these are three obvious ways, reasons why we work, right? It's a necessity. You have to. You're trying to build wealth. And this identifies who you are. People ask, Moni, what do you do? I'm a network engineer at a law firm. I don't say, I'm a dad. Oh, hi, I'm Moni. I'm a husband. That's not a job, right? That's a title. That's, you know, whatever. That's a position in your family. It doesn't matter. It, what matters is this. And so we, we see this. This is obvious. Now, today I want to cover the four bottom reasons that we don't really think about why we work. And I hope that these four reasons will help us see how God can work in, these, in this gigantic area of our life. And I hope that it changes our mind by the time we leave this place. Um, and so the first reason is uh, why God put us at work is God works in, works in us. The first reason is maturity. We may not think about this in this way. We'll separate it this way. So reason number four slash one is maturity. God wants to develop our character because our character is very important to him. It's not what we do. It is what we are that is important to God. So he built us up in that way. Now imagine of all the places in your life, in this schedule right here, where would God build your character the most? It's not in this right here, right? That's sleeping. That's maybe God built character there too, I'm sure. That's a reboot, right? <laughs> Does God build character in the free time? Probably. But the most work he will do, I think, is here. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're a student at school, this is where God built your character because this is where you come in contact with so many people in so many different ways and many different situations. And uh, God is more interested in your character because your character is what lasts. Your character is what goes into heaven. 
So when we get into heaven, you will still be you and I will be me because of my character. Does that make sense? Our identity and, and our personality is all built in that. And so the big question is, what is your work doing to you? What is your work doing to you? When you are here, this time that you spent at work, the 50% of your every day, what is that time doing to you? What kind of person is that time turning you into? In other words, does it help you to become closer to God? Does it help you to become a better Christian? Or does it turn you into a completely different person? Have you ever been in a job where you are a completely different person when you show up? I have been there. It is weird. Like I'm a nice guy somewhere else and I'm this and this somewhere else and I get to work on a completely different person. It took me a while to realize that. I didn't know I was like that. It turned me into a completely different person. Actually, multiple jobs were like that. There are things that that job was turning me into that I did not like. And I'm thankful that God moved me out of that place. And so the question is, what is, God, is, what is your work doing to you? How is it changing you? Who is it changing you into? Um, a great example of this is um, in Joseph, the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph um, was a young man. God gave him um, these amazing dreams that he's going to be a leader, right? Joseph was the son of Jacob, and he had many brothers, right? So he had this dream that he's going to rule over his parents. He had this dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him, and they did not like that at all. And so after God gave him that dream, what do you think is going to happen? Logically, something's going to happen. His brother, brother's just like, oh, look how awesome he is. Let me start bowing down. No, not at all. After that dream, they started killing. They wanted to kill him, right? They threw him down in a well and sold him to, you know, to be someone's slave. And then one thing led to another. It's just downhill from that dream on. You would think that God will take you to a dream. And then from there, it just starts going up. But from that dream, it went downhill, right? He ended up in prison. Um, and all, all these horrible things that if I were Joseph sitting in prison, I'm thinking, God, you gave me that dream. What is going on? I'm in this prison. I'm about to, there's no hope of getting out, right? But the, here's, here's a, um, a verse in Psalms 105, verse 19. Psalms 105, verse 19 says, Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So God gave him a dream. Until, that, until his character is able to handle the dream, God kept testing the character, his character, testing and testing and testing until he can handle that dream. Does that make sense? Have you read about people who won the lottery? Millions of dollars. Like recently someone won like a billion or whatever, right? It's so much money. And I always wonder, I don't think my character can handle that kind of money. It would destroy me with that kind of money. Because if you don't have the character to, to take that, and you could see this in movie stars and people with popularity, you know, with fame that just came out of nowhere. They became viral out of nowhere. And they start to fall apart because the character wasn't built to be able to handle the fame, the fortune, anything that they have. And God has a dream for you and for me. And until that dream, until we can support that dream, God is going to continue to test us. 
And he does that through our work. Um, so here me give you some, um, some things that we can learn through our work. When I show up to work, when I get to the office, why do I have to show up at a certain time? Because what? When you start, right? What, if, what happens when I go late consistently in most regular jobs? You get fired. Yeah, you get in trouble. And so there's a system, right? You have to be there a certain time. Some of us may have the leeway. I know we can show up, whatever, right? But there's still a certain time frame, a certain amount of work that we have to put in. When we show up to work, one of the things we have to learn is submission to authority. There's a boss. And that's, you can't learn that anywhere else. Because at home, I'm the king of my, of my family. Carol's the queen of our family, right? And... and there's no one above me at home. But when you get to work, there's someone above you. You gotta, you gotta respect the authority, you gotta submit to authority, uh, submit to the time frame. There's someone else's time frame, someone else's schedule, someone else's strategy. You just have, you're just a part of something, right? And that's, that really helps us to grow in that way. And, and Paul uh, talks about this in Ephesians chapter five. He says, you know, slaves, obey your masters. Instead of like, slave, run away from your master. You would think that. You know, when you read about like, why would you continue to be a slave? Just get out of there. No, he says, no. You, when you are a slave, you stay there and you obey your masters. And he says, masters, treat your slaves well. Why? Because he understands the purpose of position. Each one of us are in our position for a reason. I'm a senior network engineer in my workplace because there are people under me, there are people above me. There's certain things that I do that impact a certain group of people. And God knows that that is the most effective thing for me to do at that time. Does that make sense? And so whatever position you're in, whether you're at home with your kids, wow, can you imagine the impact that you can have on your kids and your family members who live with you, whatever, right? It's it's positioned for a purpose. You have been positioned for a purpose in that way. Um, so we learn patience at work. So at working, I'm, I'm including school and stay-at-home parents and going to a job. You learn patience, right? Like uh, some of you are teachers. Man, can you imagine how much patience you need with that many kids? My son's class, one of them is like 40 kids or something. That's insane. How much patience do you need with 40 kids? That's just amazing. Um, you learn patience, you learn flexibility, you learn forgiveness, you learn fairness, uh, persistence, humility, dependability, loyalty, and honesty, all that you learn at work. A lot of it you can't really get at home. We go to a place, that's where we have to learn all those things. And so God puts us in those places because He knows we can grow the most. So the number one... Uh, reason why we go there as a spiritual person is maturity. Uh, the next reason sorry, is maturity. The next one is credibility. Credibility. When you get to work, when you show up to work, whether, whatever position that you do, whatever job that you do, you are a witness at your workplace. Your workplace is your ministry. It is your testimony, the life, the things that you do at work is your testimony of God. It is your testimony of your faith. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.12 
Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. It says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. Wow. Did you get that? He says, when you get to work, when whatever work you do, right? He says, make it a goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. Don't be a busybody, gossiping person, whatever, right? Don't get into other business, people's business. Minding your own business, that means do what you have been asked to do. What, do whatever you have been paid to do. Do it well, right? And he says, those people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. So the telling question for all of us is, do people at work respect us? Are we a good witness? Do we tell a good testimony of Jesus Christ when we're at work? Or are we just like everybody else? God placed us in those positions for a purpose. And it is to tell people about Jesus. You don't even have to say Jesus. We could tell people about Jesus with the life, with the kind of work that we do, right? Everybody wants an AV Christian, audio-visual Christian. And it is up to us to be at work and to, be, to live out the walk, to walk the talk, right? To be genuine and not be afraid of that. It was so refreshing. I went to a, an open house at uh, Matthias's class. One of his teachers is a, uh, a history teacher, and he's a Christian. Right off the bat, you could tell. And he wasn't being lame Christian. He was just like, man, you know, I'm so blessed to teach this class. You know, um, I have been a missionary across the globe, and I've been to these places that we're going to be studying together. And it was just amazing to see this guy sharing his life without shame, to share his faith without embarrassment, right? He just told people, like, I am so blessed that, you know, my church sent me on this mission trip to whatever, whatever country, and we're going to study that today. I'm so excited. I got pictures to show the students in this class, and he was just like, like that, and I was like, wow, most Christians are even afraid to say blessed, right, at work. Most Christians are even afraid to say anything, church or God. These are like words that you don't say, like taboo, blacklisted words from work. Why is that? Because we compartmentalize that it's, it's not a sacred time. This is secular time. So we speak secular language. And that's not true. It's not accurate. The only way we could tell people about God is to tell people about God. Your work is your ministry. And there are people who are lost in this world. And uh, stay-at-home moms, your kids are lost in this world. And they need you. The biggest ministry that you and I can make with our children is to lead them to Christ. I tell Carol all the time that I could lead all of you guys closer to God, but if my kids are not closer to God, we fail. At the end of our life, if our kids don't know God, don't care about God, we have failed. It doesn't matter how many years we've done ministry. Our kids are primary, are, are primary um, uh, for us to, to lead to God. And then there are people at my workplace who are not Christians. Like I said earlier, that the best thing we could do, the most loving thing we could do for them is to invite. You know, I, I invite them to my walks. I go, hey, you know, I'm going to go for a quick walk down the street. You want anybody want to go? 
and a few of them will go and on the way we talk and we don't talk work so what are you doing this weekend oh we got church you know our church meets once a month and they don't ask i keep on going anyways you know we don't meet every week just like other churches and and it's like that and then or you know what 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 are you doing this weekend oh we're going camping you guys want to go have you been camping and you know whatever and it's it takes an effort for us that way to find an on-ramp you know, I see them as on-ramp to a, to a freeway of talks about God. And if we don't look for those on-ramps, we'll never get on that conversation. You know, we sit there and how's it going? How, we don't talk about work, right, when you walk outside of work. Just learn to, um, to invite people. And, you know, Jesus says that you are the light of the world and the city on the hill. That's for us. We can't be a light. I mean, here, we don't, you don't need to be a light. Come on now. Look, we're all bright. This place is, like, lit up. Because all of us are light, but when you're at work, you walk in, it's complete darkness. Right? If there's no Christians at your workplace, you're the only little candle in your place. The only light that they'll see. The only way that they see Jesus. The only way that leads them to the path towards God. And the same thing at home or at school, when you sit in the classroom full of students, you're the only light. But here, you don't need to be. This is training ground. This is just fun together. We just, like, shine at each other. Oh, check out my light. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I think Paul understands that that's how it is. And I think that's why he didn't tell the slaves to run away. In Ephesians 5, I would imagine he's saying, you know, slaves, get out of there. Stop being a slave. No, he says, no, you obey your masters. And it's the same message to us. Whatever work you do, obey your masters, do it well. The Bible says that whatever you find your hands to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Everything that you do at work, ask yourself, is it the best that I got? Is it the best that I've given? You know, the best thing that we could do for that time frame? No one asks you to do more than that, right? But we have to give our best in that way. And that is the best testimony that we can give to people. You cannot slack and mess around and surf Facebook all day long and tell people about Jesus. That's a shame, right? And that happens. There are people who sit there and, and you know, do that, that kind of stuff. And um, so number two is credibility. Number three is um, generosity, or six here. Maybe a clear that way. Generosity. It goes back to the first one. We've got to work to make money, right? But we can't be generous with what we don't have. Um, and there's no way to tithe if you don't have any income. Uh, you can't give you don't, if you don't have anything. Uh, and so we work so that we can be generous. And uh, Ephesians 4.28 says that anyone who has been stealing must stop, uh, must steal no longer. It's interesting that Paul writes a letter to Christians and tell them to stop stealing. But for us today's, uh, in today's world, as Christians, we cannot steal. We cannot steal the time from our, our workplace. You know, when, God, when, when we get paid to do from 8 to 5 or 8 to 4, 3 to 7, whatever, it's that time frame for our boss. They pay us for that amount of time that we spend. And many Christians, including me, have used that time to do other things other than what we have been paid to do. In a sense, that's stealing, right? Stealing time from our boss. And, you know, we got to figure out a way to maximize the time that we spend there. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with your own hands 
that they may have something to share with those in need. You see the, the, the goal there? Doing something useful with your hands. Work hard so that you have something to share with those in need. Ephesians 4.28 in the Message Bible says it this way. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. That's a great way to say it. You just be generous. And, God, and, and that's where you learn generosity too, how God is generous with all of us. In Acts 20, uh, um, Paul says, it is more blessed to give. I mean, Luke says, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity is, to a, is the key to our happy life. But we've got to work to make the money so we can be generous. Um, and the Bible spends so much time on money. And so let me give you a couple of things that I learned about work, that God, how God wants us to deal with money. The first thing, God wants us to make money honestly. Make money honestly. Put a hard day's work. Earn your paycheck. And that's what you're supposed to do. You know that work in the beginning of time when God created all of that, everything, right? And then he said he needed somebody to work the ground and he created Adam. Was there sin in the world at that time? No. God blessed Adam and Eve with work before there's even sin in the world. It's not a punishment to work. For us, it's a gift. It's a blessing that we can actually work, do the work that we do. And so the first one is make money honestly. Second one is tithe regularly. The third one is save faithfully, uh, spend it wisely, and share generously. That's how God wants us to deal with money. Let me share with you with the last one. Number seven. Eternity. This life is a preparation for the next. And when we go to work... God spends half of our day preparing us for eternity. We may not realize it, but this is a huge chunk of our day that God is working in us and through us. It's just not the little devotional time. Our life here is a preparation for the next. You know, God created all of us to still be in this place, to have responsibilities, to learn and develop characters and all these things. And one day when we get to heaven, did you know that when you get to heaven, you're going to have responsibilities? If you think that you're going to go over there and float on the clouds and play harps and a harp all day long, unless you're Robert, that's boring. Sorry, Robert. I would just die if I had to float on the clouds, play the harp, and that's it. Yeah, it'll be fine for like 10 minutes. But after that, what do you do? Eternity is a long time to be playing a harp. God gives each one of us a responsibility. The Bible's very clear that when you get to heaven, you're going to have responsibilities. God's going to have a job that fits perfectly with what He created you to do. And so think about what you would love to do on this planet that you could just do for eternity. I bet that's what, what, what God is going to assign you to do. Surfing Facebook is not going to be it. There's no Facebook in heaven, I'm pretty sure. Unless there's like, you know, a God book or something, I don't know. Um, but... There's something that we all love to do, something that we could just do forever. And I bet God is going to assign us that responsibility. Um, but God uses our work now to evaluate what we're going to be responsible for when we get to heaven. Um, 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Athletes work hard to win a crown that cannot last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. So at one day, the reason for the crown is that the crowns assign roles assigns responsibility, assigns authority, right? That's why we have crowns. Crowns are just not like some head adornment. On top of that, it signifies who you are, 
right? It, it signifies what you do and what you're responsible for. And each one of us, when we get to heaven, it's that way. And the things that we just look at, oh, I'm going to work and I'm just going to make money because it's necessary and I'm just going to make money because I want to be rich and I want to go to work because I feel like I'm a somebody. We stop here. There's so much more to work, right? Especially for eternity. Our life, short life here is for eternity. Right now, at this moment, God is preparing each one of us for eternity. Who we become in the next few minutes, we're going to take that into eternity. And we get to be that in eternity. And God uses that to determine what we're going to be responsible for when we get to heaven. We're not going to be floating around, but we're going to do some work for God that is enjoyable. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. There's going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it will keep its value. The work survives the fire. If the work survives the fire, that person will receive a reward. When we get to heaven, whatever work we do in this place, you're going to receive a reward. So whatever job that you're doing, when you stand before God, God's going to say, Moni, what, what have you done as a network engineer at Jeffrey Mangles Butler Mitchell? Man, that's a long name, right? And, or so-and-so, what have you done with what I have given you? I spent 12, 12 years of my life at the workplace that I am at now. And God's going to ask me, what have you done? I gave you that job. What did you do? I made money. I became rich in that place. <laughs> yeah, right? And I'm a somebody when I show up. There are people who report to me. Is that all there is? God says, wait, wait, wait a minute. What about all these other things? I use that workplace to change you and to mold you and to, to work in you and to... Um, okay, now, uh, if, you, it, if the work survives the fire, that person will receive a reward. But if the work is burnt up, the builder will suffer great loss. The, building themselves will be saved. the builders themselves will be saved, but it's someone escaping the flames. So it's like, you just barely made it. The things that we do, if we don't do it well, it burns up at the end. <laughs>